I'm very glad to be here. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching to you a few times. The first time was back when you were still meeting in the high school. And uh, because we work in Africa, we get to come back every four years and visit and report to the churches that support us. So it's been a while. And so if you think, boy, Pastor Neil brought someone who's dressed like a Mooney today. Uh, what are we going to be able to learn from this guy? Um, don't worry. It's not as bad as it looks. <laughs> we're very glad to be here. And you've supported us since almost the beginning of your church. And I think it was going back to 2002. And so you've supported us now for eight years. And I realize that the economy the last couple of years has not been so good. But you have continued to be faithful and supported us. And we are just very grateful and very thank you. So thank you very, very much uh, for that. Uh, this morning, I uh, invite you to turn to the book of Leviticus. That's the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We're just going to look at a few verses of the book of Leviticus, chapter 6, verse 12. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. Now this is God talking to his people about how burnt offerings are to be made. And I'm just going to make a comment on two verses here about burnt offerings, how we are to... Make sacrifices to the Lord. Leviticus 6, verse 12, and then I'll read 13. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. The fire must not go out. Now, you remember... Of course, in the book of Romans, we are told that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices unto the Lord. And I want you to think about what God has asked us to do, or maybe I should say who God has asked us to be, and then to think about how the sacrifice here in the Old Testament was to be done before the Lord. Did you realize, did you notice the repetition in those two little verses? Several times we are told the fire must not go out. The fire must not go out. That fire that's there in the temple burning the sacrifice before the Lord must be kept going. And it would be an awful thing, the Lord is saying, if that fire were ever to go out. And that's why uh, these verses begin and end with that repetition that the fire must not go out. Now you see those verses tell us what must be done for the fire not to go out. It tells us that the priest must get up very early in the morning and add firewood and arrange the burnt offering. In other words, someone must work with intention to keep the fire going. And every morning, the priest had to get up and he had the intentional job of stoking the fire and keeping the wood on it and, and uh, bringing the embers back to life if they started to die down because it was so important that the fire would not go out. Now, you know, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And that's found in the book of John. But Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. And all throughout the New Testament, especially the book of John, light is used as an analogy or as a theological term to refer to the good news that's come into the world. And several times Jesus, when he refers to himself and to his ministry, will talk about light. The light has shone in the darkness, for example. 
So Jesus says, as he introduces himself to his disciples, he says, I am the light of the world. And then before he goes back into heaven, he looks at you and I and he says, you are the light of the world. And today I thought I would share with you, just very briefly, um, the lesson of the lamp. The lesson of the lamp. Because it's Christmas time, is the season, and we're already, we've already lit in the candle here. And the Bible uses light so much to talk about our nature and who we are. And I thought it was an extremely appropriate time to teach you the lesson of the lamp. I feel badly that I don't have the kind of lamp I would be using had I been in Africa to talk about the lesson of the lamp. And this is going to have to do. Uh, but we have lights in so many different shapes and forms. This is what I found. And um, I think it will still work. But in Burkina Faso, where we work, many, I would say most people don't have electricity. And at nighttime, they use kerosene lanterns. And they're kind of an old-style uh, lantern with a glass uh, cover that you can move up and down. And there's a wick that you can move up and you have to trim it and so on and so forth. And that's what most people use at night if they want to see. Now, this is very modern and it runs on batteries. And you flip the switch and the light comes on. And I can make it dim a little bit, but in this lit-up room, it's not going to work very well. But I wanted to talk about who Jesus says we are to be by using the analogy that he used when he said, I am the light of the world, and then he tells us that we are also the light of the world. And the first thing I want to show you um, is that for the lantern to work, there must be an outside source of power. Now, this runs on batteries. The kerosene lanterns that we use in Africa use kerosene, and that's what you have to put inside them to burn. In other words, this molded piece of plastic in and of itself doesn't make light. It has to use an outside source. In this case, it's batteries that are used that actually bring the power to make the light bulb work. And, um, of course, with the other lanterns, it's the kerosene. There's an outside source outside of this plastic thing, that makes the light shine. And of course, in your life and in my life, if we are going to be the light of the world, we must remain connected to the source of power that will allow the light to shine in our lives. The Bible says that we are just jars of clay. And we're not very valuable in and of ourselves. But sometimes, by God's grace, a little worthless jar of clay can be something that actually houses something of great value. You can put something very valuable, gold or jewels, in that a worthless jar of clay, and it contains something of much greater value than itself. And I think that's what it's like when you and I try to shine the light of the Lord. You and I, in and of ourselves, aren't anything of great value. But when Christ lives in us, and that source of power, that light that shines out of us, isn't actually from ourselves then we can be that light that the Lord wants us to shine. Do you remember uh, in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 3, uh, the disciples have started preaching. Many people have started coming to the Lord. And as the disciples preach, early on, they're arrested. And they're threatened. They're, they're, they're put in jail for a little while. Then they're threatened. And they're told, we're going to let you go on the condition that you stop preaching about the Lord. And what did the disciples say? They say, hey, you can let us out, but we can't not be the light of the world. We can't stop talking about the Lord. You can let us go, but know this, as you're letting us free, we 
are going to continue shining the light that's inside of us. We can't help it. We're just going to do that. And I always saw in that a very bold response. They're very bold, and they just tell their captors, who had all the power over them, uh, we're going to do it. You're going to let us free, but you're going to have to come and arrest us (laughs) in the near future because we're going to continue shining the light uh, that's within us. They were very bold. And then the very next chapter, chapter 4, after they're let free, they go and they lock themselves in a room and they pray. And the content of their prayer always amazed me because as they're there praying, they said, Lord, make us bold. I'm thinking, boy, you're already pretty bold. Just a few minutes ago, you were answering in a very bold way. But they said, make us bold so that we can proclaim your word. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and that place where they were shook and he enabled them to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see what's happening there? There's a power in them that is not of themselves. It is the Holy Spirit in that verse that comes upon them, taking people by your and my standards who are already very bold, and yet the Spirit is enabling them to be even more so because that's, that light doesn't want to remain under a bushel. That light of the Lord wants to shine in the darkness. And that's why Jesus came from the very beginning. So the first lesson of the lamp is that the lamp is simply emitting a light that's not its own. There's another power source that must come into that, that enables it to shine a light for all to see, just in the same way that you and I need that as well. Now, uh, the second lesson... And it's going to work better had I had a lamp that we use in Africa, but you'll understand. Uh, There's a wick. And the wick, you you need the kerosene, but you also need a wick. And you can make, there's a little knob that makes the wick grow, and you can trim it uh, when it's not working very well. And that wick gets burned up. And over time, you eventually have to replace the wick. And I think that that's an illustration of our Christian life as well. Because as we serve the Lord, there's a price to pay. And for some of us, it might be time. And sometimes it might be energy. Sometimes it might be that we are being bold in places where it's not popular to speak about the Lord. And so our reputation might take a hit. Or we might uh, be persecuted. Or we might be made fun of. And yet we ask the Lord to continue to renew that power source in us, His Holy Spirit, that will enable us to be bold, even in times when we wouldn't want to be so by ourselves. And you see what's happening there, that we are like that burnt offering in the book of Leviticus. We're being burned up on the altar. There's a price to pay to participate in being the light of the world because the sacrifice burns up, right? And that wick will eventually burn up as well and need to be replaced. And some of you are probably serving the Lord in a difficult situation. And maybe at your workplace where you're called to speak up for the Lord, it's not a very easy thing to do. And you get stepped on. Or you get passed over perhaps for a promotion. Or you always have this feeling that people are looking at you funny or talking about you behind your back. There's a price to pay when we stick up for the Lord. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. When the disciples uh, turned the world upside down, going To all these places preaching the good news, they're being beaten and they're being thrown in prison. There's a price to pay. And it's as though our lives were that wick that the Lord is using. The Spirit is burning that wick, and part of us is getting burned up. But that's what it means to be the light of the world. John tells us that unless a grain falls to the earth and dies, it cannot bear fruit. 
And I think that part of the Christian life is realizing that there's a price to pay and that we invest our lives as that grain that dies so that it can bear fruit. We die to ourselves and live for the Lord and seek his presence in our lives so that we can be that light that brings others to him. Now, uh, again, this is another lesson of the lamp, and that is, especially with a kerosene lantern, uh, the glass often becomes dirty. It becomes dirty because of a few things. First of all, you touch it sometimes, and so you can get fingerprints on it. But in Africa, it's very dusty. We live not too far from the Sahara Desert, and the air is often filled with dust, so you can get a coating of dust on it. But then there's also smoke. And um, sometimes if you haven't lit it right or if the wick gets too high, there's a lot of smoke and the inner part of that glass can become dimmed by the smoke from the fire. So there's a variety of things that can make the lamp get dirty, the glass dirty, and the glass needs to be cleaned if the lamp is really going to work. And I believe that you and I very easily can be polluted by the world, just like that glass. There are things on TV that we see that can pollute our minds. There are things on the Internet that we can see that can pollute our minds and make us dirty vessels. And so the light of the Lord is there. And the light of the Lord wants to shine out of our lives. And the Lord wants to use us to be a light in a dark place. But we've made the glass of our lives dirty. There's pollution that's settled on that glass. And the light of the Lord wants to shine But we've become our own worst enemy. And that light is shining dimmer now. It's not as bright as it could be because we've allowed our lives to be polluted. And I think we need sometimes to go to the Lord and say, Lord, search me and know me. Bring to my mind those things I'm doing that are obscuring the good light that you want to shine out of my life. We need to come to the Lord on a regular basis and be cleaned by him and be washed by him and make new commitments not to do those things that feed our sinful nature and seem fun at the time, but in the end will darken our witness and help us, cause us to be people that really have no influence or impact in the world at all. Um, the numbers of Christians who are polluted by the world is astronomical, and it's a growing concern and a growing problem. We need to be people that clean our glass. We need to be people that come to the Lord. Now, do you remember that first passage we saw in Leviticus? It said that the priest had to get up every morning and with intention uh, keep that fire burning. And I think that's part of this process, not only coming to the Lord when we're polluted and asking him to clean us, but being proactive and intentional in the early morning and getting up every day and starting on our knees with the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm facing the day and all around me there will be things that will seek to pollute me and, and, and deaden my witness for you. Lord, keep me strong. Just like that priest had to get up with intention and do certain things to keep the fire grow, uh, uh, glowing before the Lord. That's what Christian men and women should do each day. Get up with intention and take care of their spiritual life and take care of that fire because it must not go out. It must not go out. We need to clean the glass of our lives and let the light of the Lord show through. Now, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he talks about the silliness or the stupidity of lighting a lamp and then hiding it under a bushel. 
And he says, that's, that's really silly because the very reason we light a lamp is that it, sh- it, it will show light in the darkness. And so actually, you actually look for a, a stand to put it on so that that light can pierce the darkness and you can actually see where you're going. That's the whole purpose of a light. To light a lantern and hide it under the bushel makes no sense at all. And I think as you and I think about being the light of our worlds, we need to shine in the darkness. Now, it sounds, it sounds simplistic, but think about it. Sometimes we shine more brightly in our Christian community. We come to church and we sing without reserve the worship songs that are being sung. Or we're in our small group Bible study and we speak openly and freely about the word. And the leader is guiding us through a passage and we talk about that passage and we talk about how that passage has impacted our lives. Or we'll say, I remember when I first became a Christian, such and such a verse uh, helped me grow or such and such a person came alongside of me and helped me grow in my Christian walk. In other words, we talk freely and openly about what the Lord has done for us when we're in the light, when we're among our Christian friends. And yet when we go out into the darkness and we're outside, we're removed from that context of being with our Christian friends, we, we put the dimmer on and we dim that lantern. The very time when the Lord wants us to shine the brightest Sometimes we don't have that courage that the apostles had, and we dim the lantern. We're still Christians. We're just not vocal about it. We're still Christians, but we've taken our light and we've hidden it under the bushel. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong about going to church and singing, and there's nothing wrong uh, to going to your small group Bible study and sharing about what the Lord's doing in your life. Those are wonderful things. But the Lord wants us also to turn up the lights when we're in the darkness as well. And I think that's often hard for us to do. I'm going to end, and I just wanted to close with this um, verse. It's from Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation 2 verse 5. When Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus, he comes back to the church and he says, Look, you need to repent. You need to come back to your first love. You need to remember where you've fallen from. In other words, there was a time in your life when you were walking very closely with me. And now, for whatever reason, you've fallen away. And that first love that should have still that preeminence in your heart and in your life has somehow, and for some reason, been put aside. I want you to remember what that first love is and to repent and to come back. And what is the warning he gives that church? If you do not, I will come and take away your lampstand. I will take away that light that I've placed in your life that I want to shine out of your heart to light up the dark world. Be careful, repent, come back to me, or your light will go completely out. And you see that theme of light that comes back even again then at the end of the Bible, that that strong warning, that idea that maybe even somehow our identity can be completely worthless in the hands of the Lord because we fall away from him and we have other things in our lives that are more important. And so Jesus says, remember your first love. Stoke that fire in the early morning. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to be clean. Lord, I need to be attached to the source where the real life and light comes from. Lord, I need to walk with you today and I need to shine the light in the darkness and not just 
where there's already light. Lord, I need you. Wouldn't it be wonderful this year if each one of us made a renewed commitment to the Lord and said, Lord, I believe you have called me to be the light of my world where you've placed me. And here, Lord, are a number of things that I am now aware of that I need to be, I need to be working on. I need to be attached to the source. I can't bear fruit by myself. But with your Holy Spirit saturating my life, with my mind being flooded with your word, I can become a fruit-bearing vessel for you, Lord. Lord, I need to be clean. I need to keep myself from being polluted by the world. Oh, Lord, wash me and help me to walk in the newness of life, saying no to the sinful nature and yes to walking in the Spirit. Lord, help me shine where my world is dark. Wouldn't it be great if we remembered our first love and made a conscious effort to come back to him this Christmas season? I hope that you do. And I hope that the Lord uses you to shine in your dark world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the light of the world. And we thank you that as you adopt us into your family, you allow us to be the light of the world too. We pray, Lord, for this church, that you would so fill it with your light, that this church would be so filled with your spirit, that we would shine and attract many people into your kingdom. I pray that you would help us to lead holy lives. I pray that we would watch over the fires of our heart each day. I pray that we'd remain attached to the vine. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us bear much fruit. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.